0: Tingy was my father yeah. and and I went by Warren Tingey from age about three till 21 oh. then when we were pregnant with our first started thinking about it and thinking there's three other Tingy boys to pass on the Tingy name but there's nobody to pass on the Osborne name yeah so I added Osborne back on left Tingey on as the middle name so my legal name is Warren Robert Tingey Osborne
1: It's Jeff Burningham. Another day of the US podcast. It's great to be with you. Remember the purpose of the podcast that was inspired by thousands of good people that I've met along my life, doing good things, making a difference with their own unique talents and their own unique ways. Remember, even during this hard time with the election coming up and so much divisiveness, there is a lot more that brings us together and a lot more that I think we have in common than we ever have different. There are People that like to pull us apart, but we're really a lot more alike than we are different. We also struggle with different things. And I'm excited to bring you stories of people that have meant a lot in my life, people here in our great state that are, and in our country that are making a difference. And today I have a good friend of mine on the podcast, Warren Osborne. Warren, how are you doing?
0: Great, great to be here.
1: It's good to be with you, Warren, always. Let me tell you a little bit about how I know Warren, and then we're going to hear from him. Warren and I have been friends for a while now, a decade or more, I don't know.
0: At least a decade. At least
1: a decade, maybe 15 years. Warren is a serial entrepreneur. Any entrepreneur that's come out of BYU, like I did about 20 years ago, knows Warren Osborne because he's been a mentor to many. He's been an investor in many startup companies. He started many himself, and Warren and I have also we 're laughing we 're in a little booth here, sweating and warren 's saying that you know i 've made him sweat before because we 've played tennis together. We just did this last week, yeah and we won in like uh whatever overtime overtime nine seven nine seven we pulled out the victory
0: yeah, it was pretty awesome
1: yep i 've skied around the country and in Canada with warren he 's a great skier. And um, Warren is a legend here in Utah County for entrepreneurship. Like I've said, he's helped so many. He was diagnosed with ALS three years ago now. Is that correct,
0: Warren? Close to three years. I've had it for about three and a half years, but the official diagnosis was May of 2018.
1: May of 2018.
0: And it's a terrible disease and one that
1: is just, I can't even imagine. So I have always looked up to Warren. Warren is beloved, and I wanted to get him on the podcast and talk to him. So, Warren, thank you so much for coming on today.
0: Great being here with you, Jeff.
1: Yeah, it's, I'm so glad to have you. So, have you always been an entrepreneur? You grew up in Idaho, right? Like, kind of uh, on a farm. No, or? I
0: grew up in Perry, Utah. Oh, Perry, Brigham Sorry. City. Yeah, on a farm. Yeah, and learned to work hard. It was a fruit farm, not a dairy farm. Yeah, we grew all types of fruits and vegetables, and really learned the power of work. Yeah. And tenacity and sticking to it and finishing the game. How many siblings do you have? There's eight of us, including me.
1: Okay. So are all seven, are the other? you are tenacious. If there's a word that would be described, you, one of the three words I would use to describe you Warren is tenacious. Yeah. And another one would probably be hardworking. So you said it right there. Right, I'm just curious. Are your uh, siblings, are they as tenacious as you are?
0: Probably not quite as tenacious. I came from an interesting family. By the way, I have a little bit of a slur in my speech. Yeah. That's the ALS coming out. So I'm losing my voice slowly. Yeah. So I don't have that deep resonating radio voice that I used to have.
1: And you did have it.
0: So, so I apologize for that. But my family, when we grew up, my father was killed in a hunting accident when I was 11 months old. My mom was pregnant at age 22 with her third child. Wow. And then some of their friends, they were in a dinner group in the Box Elder School District. Yeah. Kind of go play cards and have dinner. Yeah. And then about a year later, a guy named Bob Tingey, his wife died. He had three children. So this is like the Brady Bunch. (laughs) They got together and then they had two together. Oh, wow. So that's how we got to be eight.
1: Oh, that's awesome. I mean, that's interesting. So do you have, do you have memories of your father? I mean, you were way too, you were young. I was
0: 11 months old when yeah. he passed. So really, Tingy was your father. Tingy was my father. Yeah. And, uh, and I went by Warren Tingey from age about three till 21. Oh. Then when we were pregnant with our first, started thinking about it and thinking, there's three other Tingy boys to pass on the Tingy name, but there's nobody to pass on the Osborne name. Yeah. So I added Osborne back on, left Tingy on as the middle name. So my legal name is Warren Robert Tingy Osborne. Oh,
1: that's awesome. And it's worked out. How many children do you have?
0: We have six children yeah. and eight grandchildren, and another one coming in December.
1: I can't believe that. And what I forget what the boy versus girl mix is in your children. I know you have some of both. We're three and three. Three and three. Hey. That's good. Yeah. Gosh. So did you enjoy growing up in Perry, Utah?
0: I enjoyed it. I think growing up on a farm is a good way to get exposed to hard work and finishing the job and yeah. just learning to pound away and get things done. Yeah.
1: Do you feel like you've kind of always been an entrepreneur? Um, I, you know, I started a carpet cleaning business when I was a teenager. Um, I've kind of always been this self-starting entrepreneur. Just curious if you've always felt that way. Yes. Or, even, yeah.
0: in, even in high school, I was doing little tiny gigs and... Yeah, negotiating with my father to pay me by the tree that I <laughs> grubbed or the tree that I cleaned instead of the hourly rate of 50 yeah. to 75 cents an hour yeah. and I would make twice as much money because I could work twice as fast.
1: Yeah. Was he open to that? Yeah. Yeah.
0: He That's was cool. open to it. <laughs> That's awesome. So I I started negotiating with him at a very young early age.
1: Did he say Warren Quit being such a pain in negotiating?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was known for talking a lot.
1: Yeah, that's so cool. Well, um what are some of the greatest lessons that entrepreneurship has taught you? You know, you've so you've gone from tree grubber negotiating with your father to, you know, many successful businesses that we'd love to talk about, but you know, before we dive into maybe some more specifics, what what do you love about entrepreneurship and what are some of the key lessons that you've learned being an entrepreneur all these years?
0: Oh, some of the biggest lessons are focus, focus and drive and tenacity. If you don't have those, you're not going to make it as an entrepreneur.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so one of the things that I've really focused on is consumer products in my career. I've also done a bunch of technology, but my biggest, my biggest asset has been consumer products. I've manufactured and sold more than 350 million consumer products over about a 30-year time span. That's amazing. And uh, one thing that I am really a big believer in, and I think this is applicable in tech companies as well, don't try to do too many things in the beginning. If I'm racing you in anything, and you're trying to do 20 things at the same time, and I'm trying to do two, I will kick your butt. Yeah, you're going to beat me. And if you're trying to do three and I'm trying to do 30, you're going to kick my butt. Yeah. And so I believe everything is evolutionary. So uh, I'll give an example. Who built the first airplane? The guy that strapped some wings onto his arms and jumped off a cliff. That's the guy who invented the airplane. (laughs) That was long before the Wright Brothers. We don't know that guy's name, though. Yeah. but he was the real inventor of the airplane and everything since then has been iteration after iteration of improvement. And that's what I believe in, in um, consumer products businesses and other businesses is become the very best in the world at one, two or three things. Yeah. So in every one of my products until the last company that I started, we became the best in the world at one, two or three things in a category. And once we became the best in the world, we just flourished, exploded with growth.
1: Yeah, that's exciting. Product leadership, right? It's about whether it's in technology or consumer products. It's about this idea of product leadership being the very best product in the world and creating a moat, you know, around people trying to compete because you're the best at something.
0: And you don't have to be the best at everything. No. As a matter of fact, you're way better off trying to be the best at one, two or three things. I'll give a little example. I started a company that was originally named Spar. It was a portable speaker company. Yeah, I remember it. And uh, we had three objectives that we were going to be. We were going to be the most beautiful speaker in the world. So we kind of copied Apple computers, made it out of aluminum. We were going to let the speaker be a recharger for your cell phone or your tablet. Yeah. And then third, we were going to make sure that when you put it side by side with another speaker in the same category, the same price point, that everyone in the world could hear that it was the best sounding one. Those were our three objectives. Well, we got on the Ellen DeGeneres show. That's and exciting. We had 16 million viewers. And Ellen's saying, this is the hottest new speaker in the market today on national television.
1: Oh, that's good.
0: So, and she was, this is the name, under the name of Spar. Yeah. Well, a week or two later, our sales team went to Europe to a trade show. And at that trade show, we had about 50 distributors that wanted to carry our speaker because they could see these three things that were the best in the world. With, with the samples that we had at the show. But almost every one of those distributors said, you got to change the name, though. SPAR means budget or discount in German. And there's 12,000 SPAR stores across across Europe. They're kind of like a 7-Eleven or a Dollar General. <laughs> so it, now we have this hottest, best-selling, spe- best-quality speaker in the world that's going to be called Budget. budget. <laughs> that's a problem. It was a big problem. It was. Then the next thing, the speaker company factory that we had engaged with in China, I didn't go through my normal dev vetting process. Yeah. I just kind of hired the first one, which...
1: And you spent a lot of time in China.
0: I've been there 110 times. 110 times. And yeah. and I speak Chinese fluently. Wow. From doing business there? From doing business, Wow, yeah. that's amazing. So anyway, the speakers came in. We had over $700,000 of new speakers, and the acoustic quality was about 20% lower than our target-defined specification. It was still good, but it didn't meet the mark of being the best in the world. So now we have one that's 20% below our mark that's called Budget Discount (laughs) in Europe. Yeah. So I chose to take them to the dump. Huh. And then we started iterating again. We fired that factory, went to a new factory, added waterproofing and shock resistance, two new features. And when we came out with the next line, it exploded. To illustrate how fast it exploded, we went on QVC one day. We did $2 million in sales in one day. It was their hottest selling electronic that year. They had us back like 45, 60 days later. We did $4 million in one day on qvc that's amazing and that actually helped us that was really for marketing because that got us our name all over the world had you rebranded by then though yeah we rechanged the name to to braven
1: correct yeah and so uh, after spar after you learned that spar meant budget in germany and in the european markets you rebranded to braven correct yes yeah so you had to totally rebrand rename Everything.
0: And throw away $700,000 of speakers. And that was cost basis. Yeah, was that painful? Oh, of course it was. Yeah. But if we didn't do it, I think we would have failed. Yeah. We became the fastest growing speaker in the company in the world that year.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. So there's this theory of sunk costs, right, in business. Once you have spent time on something, that is a sunk cost. You had spent time. There were $700,000 worth of speakers, but they were not good enough. They were not going to sell. They were not going to represent your brand well. So you kind of ate that cost, threw it away, and started over. Yep. And that's what entrepreneurs kind of do often on a daily basis, don't they, or a weekly or monthly basis. You're kind of constantly stopping and restarting, pivoting and changing direction and strategy often until you find you know, product
0: market fit. That is so true. And if you don't pivot, if, if someone is so stuck on their first idea that they aren't willing to adapt and pivot, they're almost destined for failure. Yeah. You have to be nimble. You have to adapt. You have to adjust to the market. You have to learn as you grow. You have to evolve. Yeah. And if you don't, it's it's death.
1: Yeah. So no one's entrepreneurship story or life story is straight up and to the right, of course. And certainly, Warren, you've had a myriad of successes, as we've spoken about, both as an operator, CEO, and as an investor. What are some of the biggest failures you've had, though, and challenges that you've you just shared one with us? But are there's other, you know, failures that you've learned a lot from? And what have you learned from?
0: There's another really good story that I learned a lot from. It was probably my most educational moment in my entire career. Huh. So I had a business called Sea Stone. We're doing about twenty million dollars a year, with the super majority of that with AOL. AOL used to be kind of like Google. Yeah. And today they're kind of nothing. Yeah. But they were they were the powerhouse at the time. They were doing seven hundred million. CDs a year, marketing all over the world, and they were making these packages out of wood and tin.
1: Yep, I remember.
0: So I started. Well, first they hired me as with a consulting gig and paid me a few thousand dollars just to advise them. And I saved them thirty million dollars by advising them over about seven days. Went to China with them, negotiated with their factories, got their price down, saved them thirty million bucks. And I realized that was a major brain burp. <laughs> yep. I should have negotiated to take like 20% of the savings. Yeah. So I noticed that they were getting their boxes just from the the CD factories were just going across, going over into China and just ordering the boxes. And I said, I think I can save you another 30 million. And I was pretty efficient with supply chain management by that time. Cause I had had my own factory doing VHS manufacturing and duplication in the U S and I imported from China and from South Korea, the raw materials. So I went, I've, I started manufacturing tin boxes for them and then wood boxes for them and grew it from a couple hundred thousand a month to doing several million a month every month. We grew it to about twenty million in sales, doing about five million in profit and then AOL came to us one day and said they had many other vendors too. We were just doing a small fraction in their total supply chain and they said we 're going to award all the business to two vendors for each medium, hmm. so put in your bid for ten you 're one of our key targets for tinks. We were best at ten boxes. And, and we lost the bid by one-third of a cent. And they said we decided to award it all to one vendor instead of two. So we lost the business. So now I have 80-plus percent of my business is dead because oh. AOL was like this. Yeah, you were locked to an- them. And- anchor locked to them. Yeah. So I went to our team of 20-plus staff, and I said, what does AOL really want? We are super good at efficiency, supply chain management, and just taking every penny out of a box. And we can deliver super high volume of like 8 million boxes in a month. And I said, What does AOL really want, though? They want more customers. Yeah. So, what are we missing in our business right now? We're missing innovation. So, we are now going to invent better boxes. So our whole mission for the next six weeks is we're going to invent 20-plus new boxes that when, you, when a consumer gets the old box that's the generic and the new box in front of them, the new box is going to be so much more impressive that they're going to want to buy. Yeah. So we invented 20-plus new boxes. We started showing them to AOL, and AOL started testing them side by side. <laughs> They'd run a fifty thousand unit run, do a side by side test, and most of them dramatically outperformed the old box. So after we got fired, we grew from twenty million, making five million in profit to thirty million in sales, doing ten million in profit. Wow!
1: All from innovation, from pushing your pushing your team to
0: be more innovative. Yeah, and I think that was that was the. One Is that in the, the early
1: nineties, mid nineties? When was that?
0: That was late nineties. Oh, late nineties. Okay. But that was, could have even been early 2000. Okay. But that was one of the biggest lessons of my career because from then on everything that I made, I was about innovation on top of supply chain management and efficiency. Yeah. When you're, my first business was VHS production was the first serious business. VHS video recording and so forth. And then that pivoted into VHS duplication, which pivoted into manufacturing. We had a class 1000 clean room. We had robotic automated assembly lines. When I was 26 years old, I had 125 employees and and doing millions of VHS, one of the largest in the Intermountain West. And... That was all about efficiency in manufacturing, supply chain management. Once I added the innovation on top of it and got back to my roots, because I'm an artist at heart, I used to paint and so forth. When I added the artwork to it and the innovation to it, everything else exploded way better. So that getting fired from AOL, I think was one of the most pivotal, important moments of my career.
1: That's cool. And that's a good way to look at challenges, right? When challenges come, you can either lay down and, you know, give up or you get back on your feet. You're a great example of that. And you're certainly, you know, tackling that in a whole new way now, Warren, um, before we before we get to ALS, what advice might you have for any young entrepreneurs? Obviously you've mentored entrepreneurs all growing up um you know, all the last several decades. Is there any other advice you would have for them? I would give some advice.
0: Build on your assets. So like you,
1: personally, you mean or you like gotta you have
0: are? some asset. Yeah. Like my first business, the only asset I had was a sofa that I got out of a dumpster. <laughs> A video camera that I bought on a credit card to record my first child. Yeah. And uh, an old beat-up Volkswagen 20-year-old bug. Yeah. And those were my assets. But I had creativity and artistic eye. Yeah. And I used that plus the camera to start doing recordings and started doing a video production company. Then one day, I... I landed a gig to do the National Junior Olympics that were held at BYU that year, Mm -hmm. where the top athletes in track and field from around the whole country, every state in the country, came to BYU for the national tournament. And I offered to do the gig for free for them. And I said, but what I get, I get the microphone every 30 minutes, and I get a booth to pass out flyers. (laughs) So you give, Always the micro- hustling. Yeah. give me the microphone every 30 minutes and I'd get on the mi- microphone in a deep resonating voice that I don't have anymore. <laughs> I would say, come get, your, come get your video. Well, I made it. I didn't know anything about price elasticity at that time. Yeah, I should have priced these videos at 49 bucks. I priced them at fourteen ninety-five. <laughs> An epic fail, but I still pre-sold 500 of them. Yeah. But when it got done, I had to go buy a computer and editing gear and then watch all the six days worth of tapes and predefine the. It, it was linear editing back then where you had to literally put things in linearly. You couldn't just go add something in the middle of a, a video like you can today on a computer. Yeah. So it took me like six weeks to edit this and I spent two thirds of the money buying this editing gear. When I went, when I went to do the duplications, my low bid was two dollars. The second lowest bid was twelve dollars. Excuse me, ten (laughs) dollars. Ten and twelve.
1: Yeah.
0: So I didn't have enough money yet to do it. So I went and rented VHS VCRs at Blockbuster, Hollywood Video. And I so, rent them for like a dollar a night yeah. and rent like 30, 40 machines, wiring them up with Radio Shack cables and duplicate them myself. <laughs> and then I realized that's, I'm in the wrong business. Yeah. I just worked my butt off for seven weeks doing editing and recording for six days. And these guys who were going to duplicate this could do in one afternoon all the recordings and get 80% of the money. Yeah. So that's when I decided I'm getting in the duplication business. So I just started buying VCR after VCR, take all the profits and just bought VCRs. About two years later, I had 350 VCRs in the base of my house. (laughs) Then I expanded it into a factory. Then that factory outgrew that. So I built a new 34,000-square-foot factory. That's when we started buying these $400,000 machines that would do high-speed duplication, Mm -hmm. duplicated two-hour video in like 10 seconds. Yeah, and then you'd wind the, once it was duplicated on big spools, and then it was wound into the tapes after.
1: That's so. That's bootstrapping entrepreneurship from a farm boy from Perry, Utah, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, that's farmer hustle. That is farmer hustle. I like that. Hey, let me ask you a, a personal question before we go to ALS. So a little bit about entrepreneurship. So you kind of came from nothing financially. I'm going to just kind of assume basically yeah. from a farm. I, I did as well, not from a farm, but. Um, And then you had a lot of financial success. What have you learned about money? I'm just curious about money in terms of how it affected you, how it affects families and lives. You know, I I don't, I'm just curious and feel like I should ask you.
0: Well, um, I've not had money for much of my life and I've had money for much of my life and I far prefer having some money. (laughs) So you enjoy that better. Well, I enjoy traveling. I've traveled to 108 countries. Yep. I enjoy exploring. I enjoy new stuff. The re- one of the reasons I've started ten companies is because I don't have a huge long patience. Yeah. So I get bored with something after a couple, three, four years, yeah. and I'm ready to go tr- do go do something different. So that's one of the reasons I've gone on ex- exploring missions all around the country. Another big lesson I would give to. In in addition to building on your assets and focusing, is go at stuff with hustle and speed. Go at it tenaciously. Another thing I would say you need to focus on is delighting your customer. Yeah. Once you get the customer, you got to make them delighted, not just satisfied, but elated.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Which is not easy to do. That is a challenge.
0: It is a challenge. But if you're the best in the world at one, two, or three things... You can do that. You can do that. Yep. And then you build off the status quo. You're basically... Everybody is knocking off the status quo in every business. Yeah. Google didn't invent search. Yeah. Apple didn't invent their phone nor the computer. Yeah. They're taking the status quo and they're making it better. Yeah. And if you do that iteratively like two or three things at a time. And then the next year with 2.0, you add two or three more things. You can become the best in the world at some product in just a few years.
1: Yeah. And you, you took this same hustle to ALS. You, you approached it kind of like an entrepreneur with farm boy hustle and you went after it, didn't you? I mean, you had a ton of treatments. You've done everything you possibly can you know, tell us about your story about getting ALS and where you're at now. And
0: Well, first, a little bit of background on ALS. The average person with ALS, 90% of people with ALS die within two to four years from first symptoms. I've had symptoms now for three and a half years, but the big symptoms started November, Thanksgiving Day, 2017. Hmm. My wife was cooking something in the oven. She asked me to take it out, and I took it out and burned myself. You can see a little scar. I I burned myself with a pan there. Within 24 hours, I started fasciculating, twitching right by this scar. So I thought it was related to the burn, but it wasn't. It just so happened that my left side is worse than my right. I've lost 92% of my strength. In eight, in 20 months, in my left hand, I've only lost 72% in the right hand in 18 months. You're measuring. Yeah, yeah I measure it every like a week. real entrepreneur, yep. I measure everything. Um, I have a spreadsheet that just tracks all my strength, all the lifts at the gym I do, 11 different lifts, three sets of 10. And I track that all the way along.
1: Yeah, so here you are three and a half years later talking to me in the podcast booth. I mean, that's a lot better than the alternative and you've, it's been amazing to see how you've attacked this and, and that, you know, and, um, how you've elongated your good life in the best you can.
0: I've done roughly about 460 treatments in total. I've wow. done, I've swallowed 80,000 doses of supplements. I've swallowed thousands of other pills. I've, uh, done 54 stem cell treatments. This is probably world record in stem cell treatments. Yeah. And
1: And you've had to travel all the world to do that because a lot of these stem cell treatments are not approved or something in the United States. Is that correct?
0: Correct. They're not approved in the U.S. You can't do bone marrow autologous stem cells injected intrathecally in the U.S. and the clinical trials in South Korea in Israel and now in the US, they're in phase three right now, demonstrate really slowing progression considerably and even getting short-term reversals. Well, after I started doing stem cells in 2018, um, I experienced an eight-month reversal where I actually got stronger over eight months rather than weaker. This is what's going on. Imagine you got 100 million motor neurons 10 million of them are dead. 90 million of them are sick. When they're sick, they're fat, they're bloated. They're It's like, imagine a 600-pound basketball guy running down the court. He's not going to be able to do very well. No, he's not. And that's, that's how the motor neurons get. They get inflamed, and they become dysfunctional. Well, the bone marrow stem cells are very anti-inflammatory, so they take, the inflammation out of the out of the motor neurons and the dysfunction of motor neurons can start functioning again, and so it can give an illusion of a cure, but it's not a cure. Yeah. It's not fixing the root cause. But I think that is one of the reasons why my progression has slowed down as much as it has. Then the other 400 plus treatments probably helped too.
1: Yeah. So where are you at right now, Warren? How are you feeling? I noticed that when we, you know, spoke at the beginning of the podcast, you got emotional a little bit when you were talking about passing on the Osborne name and how you went by Tingy Osborne after 21. You know, how are you feeling? The The whole purpose of this podcast is to try to uplift each other. This is something that you've done throughout your life. Certainly you continue to do that. What's on your mind right now and how... how what might our listeners really benefit from hearing from you based on your life experience?
0: Well, I wish I could go do another business right now. Really? But I can't. Yeah.
1: Are you hungry to do another business or to be an entrepreneur again?
0: Well, it's so much in my blood. It's just part of who I am. Yeah. I've started 10 companies now. Yeah. All but the last one were successful. Yeah. The last one I started and, uh, a few months later was diagnosed with ALS so I resigned we just sold it just a couple weeks ago it was uh, vibrating roller balls for exercise therapy massage oh, yeah. therapy yeah and killer product awesome product but it just needed 2.0 3.0 yeah. innovation it needed expansion it needed hustle. It needed to get on the Ellen DeGeneres show. It needed to go to QVC. It needed to just go all over the world. Yeah. And I wasn't there to go drive it.
1: Well, nine out of ten is not bad, Warren. And entrepreneurship—that's pretty good record. I'll take it. You'll take it. You should take that.
0: I'll take it. <laughs> but, uh, but, so far. I haven't yet found the cure for a l s which was one of my goals, yeah, um, nobody's found the cure in a hundred years now, yeah, um, but I've slowed down the progression, and I'm still living life. I'm still golfing, I'm still playing tennis, yeah, you and I kicked some butt the other day in tennis, yes,
1: we did. And you, yeah. And you had a unique strategy for us to focus on. I love your sense of humor, Warren. That's another thing that I love about you. You've been an example to so many. I'm not very good at social media. I'm not on social media very much, but there are a couple of your posts that I've caught or seen where you've just been so inspirational and so upbeat. How have you maintained, how how are you so upbeat in the face of um, terminal illness? Yeah.
0: I've never gotten depressed in my life much. I just have kind of an upbeat attitude. And if there's a problem in front of me, it's like, okay, let's fight this thing. Let's solve it. Let's do everything we can to make the best of it. And that's just kind of how I instinctively think. Yeah. And so I don't like, I can barely lift my arms in front of my body right now. So tennis is underhanded rather than overhanded now. Yeah, but uh, I I don't get depressed and discouraged too much.
1: Yeah, well that's amazing. Obviously that's something that we could all, you know, learn from. No doubt about it. Anything else? What What else have you learned about ALS that you'd like to share, or how, you know, what might be interesting to listeners? How has your perspective changed post diagnosis? You know, I, I know you attacked it especially at the beginning and you continue to but you know with this entrepreneurship farm boy hustle zeal how has your perspective changed, uh, you know?
0: I went pretty crazy at it. In the first 7 months I think I read 38,000 pages. There's <laughs> probably just... more than I read in grade school through my MBA combined. <laughs> yeah. But I just went at research, reading health books, reading all the trials on ALS. I had Google send me automatically every article that came out about ALS and I'd read them all. So I just went at it kind of like my entrepreneurism where it's just like we're going to fight. Every, we're going to solve every problem. If we solve every problem, we might get to a cure. Yeah. That's been my goal.
1: Yeah. And you have a beautiful family, beautiful wife that's been so supportive and your children, like you said. Yeah.
0: uh, My children have been awesome. My wife is a amazing, wonderful woman. She's very, very supportive and she has to help me put a belt on right now. I can't put my own belt on. Yeah. And if I have to like a button shirt, which I'm not wearing today, she, she has to help help me button it up. Um, how did you,
1: where did you meet Tricia? How did you meet her?
0: Uh, we met at a church house and then her brother, I saw her at the back of the building.
1: Is this like at a dance or? I,
0: I was at the stand. I was on the stand during a sacrament. Meeting, oh, got it. And I saw her come in. She was there to with her brother to watch a missionary farewell or homecoming, I can't remember which. And uh, And I saw this really cute baby at the back of the building. So I walked back to check her out. And both her brother and her saw that I was checking her out. And <laughs> and they said, he's checking you out. And she said something like, I'd like to go on a date with him. And she said, and her brother said, like, right, like you could get a date with him. <laughs> and so she kind of lit a fire under her. So she researched out Brigham City State Dances and went and got an interview and got a pass to come up there, and the first time she came up there, I was out deer hunting, so she didn't see me. So she came up again later, and we hooked up. Oh, that's cool. That's that's, like, a, that's but, another story. That when that, went that for, yeah, that could go that on for, for a long for time. For that we we'll have to do
1: another podcast on that. Well, Warren, it, I admire you so greatly. I admire you as an entrepreneur and your tenacity and even more so honestly with this illness, the way you've tackled it, number one, and the way that you've kept this positive attitude. That's something that I would strive to do, that I would strive to be better at. Could we end with this last question? I'm curious. It made me think, like I said, your sense of humor, I think, is trademarked um, your – I see an extra aura of kindness around you Um how have you taken this? Things are changing in your life daily. Things are changing for all of us. What opportunity are you taking to improve yourself or to think about life as, as your life changes and as your condition, you know, continues to struggle on?
0: Yeah. Well, with my deterioration, I definitely am progressing. My voice is getting worse. I blend all of my food. Now I do because I eat regular food. I choke too much. I'm scheduled to actually get a feeding tube put in my my belly in second week in November.
1: Yeah, you're fighting if, that, though.
0: If, if I maintain and don't get worse between now and then, then we'll delay that. Yeah. But um, I just try to spend time with my family, with loved ones, with friends, and just share life and love and just enjoy it more
1: yeah just try to share life and love, yeah
0: yeah
1: yeah, and I see that and you Warren. I appreciate your kindness, I appreciate your friendship um you know i I'm excited for the life that you still have to live, and none of us are guaranteed anything in life, you know, yeah. we don't know what's around the corner, yeah, so yeah. we need to take advantage of the opportunities that are in front of us, we need to love like you said in uh in a real way, and do the very best we can every day because we don't know what's amen.
0: gonna happen amen i. Totally endorse that and totally agree. You've gotta live and enjoy what you've got. Yeah. And statistically I probably only have a year to two or three years left, but you can better be sure I'm going to be filling that full and enjoying it. Last week I flew out. (laughs) I flew out to Pebble Beach. Yep. There's a guy that has likely has ALS. He wanted to hook up with me, He met me on Facebook. He invited me to go out. We went out and played Pebble Beach and I got a par on number 18.
1: That's awesome. Which is right where you stayed
0: too, right? Yeah. On hole 18. I was staying on hole 18. Yep. Yeah. Well, Warren,
1: you're an example of living life to its fullest and I'm confident you'll continue to do that. I appreciate your friendship. Thank you for your example. I'm sorry, it's hot in here, but it's been good to be with you this
0: afternoon. Thanks, Warren. Great being with you. Thank you very much for having me on.
1: Every life is different and uh, every life is precious. We know that. And Warren Osborne's life is one that has been spectacular in a lot of ways in success and business and in entrepreneurship. I have loved watching him actually these last couple of years. Like I said, there's this additional touch of kindness. It's this additional touch of grace and of humility. Uh, we are all polling for Warren Osborne. We are all on his team. He has fought ALS with a tenacity that only a farm boy from Perry, Utah could. And I look forward to, we've had so many good memories on the ski slopes, you know, on the tennis court, in entrepreneurship and investments, etc. I look to a lot more of those in the future. Thank you, Warren, for your example. I hope that this was uplifting and I hope that you know of people, loved ones or friends or acquaintances that are struggling with health, that you'll reach out to them, that you'll put an arm around them, that you will do the very best you can to lift them up. They need it. And uh, certainly they will lift you up as well as Warren has done to me and to a bunch
0: of us. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the US Podcast with Jeff Burningham. Please help us grow by leaving a rating and review and subscribing at your favorite podcast platform. Also, tell your friends and share on social media. See you again next week.